0: Welcome to the Retirement Made Easy podcast, a show created to be your go-to source for straightforward retirement advice. Best of all, it is presented in a language that you can understand. Are you ready for some straight talk on retirement planning without all the fluff? Well, you found the right podcast. Here's your host, certified financial planner, Greg Gonzalez. Welcome to another episode of the Retirement Made Easy podcast. I'm Greg Gonzalez. Happy New Year, everybody. I'm actually, I've been battling a cold this past week, so hopefully my voice isn't too bad as I record this episode, but this week wanted to kind of give people a recap or summary of this Secure Act 2.0. This is a bill that I've been talking about on the Retirement Made Easy podcast for, gosh, probably over six months, and it finally passed The last week in December there of uh, 2022, kind of as a part of that $1.7 trillion package bill that got passed. So on this episode, I thought it would be helpful to kind of go over the different components and the different changes that are coming down the pipeline with the Secure Act 2.0 and how they may impact you, maybe in 2023 or 2024 or the years after. And honestly, in my opinion, this bill has so many different components and changes to it. And the final version to be thrown into this larger package, this $1.7 trillion bill, I think this was a terrible decision. Because when you make changes like this, that, that are so drastic to what we've been doing, it doesn't give the administrators in providers of 401k plans, employer-sponsored plans, time to adjust and adapt. And really, a lot of these provisions were just not well thought out because they're going to be so, so cumbersome. And really, it's Congress is coming up with this bill, this Retirement Secure Act bill that is going to impact the lives, the retirements of 330 million Americans. And they didn't do surveys of financial planners who are in the trenches that are doing this planning on a day-to-day basis for people. They didn't you know, give us a survey to fill out and kind of vote on what we think would be most constructive with a bill. No, we don't want to ask the professionals. We'll leave it to people in Congress to come up with the final Secure Act bill. Even though these people, somebody in Congress, they don't have a 401k like maybe you or I have. So they've got no skin in the game none whatsoever. And this bill was so rushed when you put it in a package that they were trying to get this thing passed by the end of the year because of course there's going to be a a change in the house come January. So we got to rush this 1.7 trillion dollar bill that was 4,155 pages and among those pages was the Secure Act 2.0. So We're just going to focus on the Secure Act 2.0, what I like about it personally, what I don't like about it, and hopefully you can learn a thing or two about how it might impact you and your retirement moving forward. Before we get to that, I wanted to remind listeners check out my website retirementmadeeasypodcast.com. While you're there, you can look at the resources tab. I've got plenty of free resources available that are there to help you as you plan for your own retirement. You can listen to all the previous episodes. I believe this is episode number 132. So that means there's 131 other episodes, previous episodes for you to enjoy. But also on the website, you'll notice there's a 30-minute retirement coaching call where I offer listeners the opportunity to talk to yours truly for 30 minutes about their questions they have for their retirement and what help they might need. So you can sign up for that right there on the website. Let's jump into today's episode talking about the Secure Act 2.0. So the first thing that I'm going to mention is For those companies out there that administer and oversee retirement-sponsored plans, and I'm talking like 401Ks, 403Bs, 457 plans, your employer-sponsored retirement plans, this Secure Act 2.0 is going to be an absolute administrative nightmare. Absolute. And the reason being is because you can't make drastic changes To these types of retirement plans and then expect these companies to just magically adapt and pivot overnight. So you'll notice as you read a summaries of of the Secure Act 2.0 and all the different provisions, a lot of them don't actually start until 2024 or 2025. And the reason being is because they're trying to give these 401k providers and administrators some time to kind of get their systems in place. To be able to account for these drastic changes. So here's one article that Fidelity put out on the 3rd of January. It's called Secure Act 2.0, Rethinking Retirement Savings. And they're saying that there's nine main components. You can look up this article. It'll be in the show notes. But there's nine main changes that the Secure Act 2.0 is going to change. So we're going to kind of focus on these nine. There are actually some extended cuts, if you will, And to my surprise, there were some things that were thrown out of the final version of this bill. The version that passed the House almost unanimously, it included a provision that said if your 401k balance or IRA balance in the the pre-tax side was a certain amount of money, and I think it was like under $200,000, you were never required to take or required minimum distribution. They didn't want to force those lower net worth, if you will, and $200,000 is what they came up with per person. They didn't want to force those people to have to take required minimum distributions. So in the final bill, that was scrapped completely. And there were some other things that in the previous version of the bill that I actually, you know, kind of liked, but uh, but those got scrapped. So, so check out this article in the show notes from Fidelity. It does a, a, you know, fairly good job of of giving you a nice summary. So, if you remember in the Secure Act 1.0 bill, which was passed in 2019, it changed the required minimum distribution age from 70 and a half, which I always thought was a terrible age. Why do you come up with 70 and a half? Anyway, Secure Act 1.0 changed it from 70 and a half to age 72. Well, now the Secure Act 2.0 bill is going to change 72 to 73. So starting in this year, January 1st of 2023, the new required minimum distribution age, which is the age that you have to start taking distributions out of your pre-tax retirement accounts is a now age 73. And then 10 years from now, in 2033, the new RMD age will be age 75. So just a couple of years ago, they changed it from 70 and a half to 72. Now here, a couple of years later, they changed from 72 to 73. And then in 10 years, they're going to change it from 73 to 75. And the reason for that is they're saying, oh, well, people are living longer. So we need to extend the life expectancy tables for how required minimum distributions are calculated. And the penalty, if you forgot to take your RMD, Up until this point, it was 50% of your RMD. So what that means is, is if your required minimum distribution was 10 grand, the penalty was 50% of that. So that would be five grand in a penalty. And you still needed to take out the $10,000 out of your IRA or 401k and pay the taxes on it. So now that's being reduced down to 25%. The penalty is going from 50% to 25%. And it would even be as little as 10% penalty if it's corrected in a timely fashion. Now, this is a little side note. The IRS is probably not listening to this, but I work closely with a lot of clients and a lot of friends and, and tax advisors, and my wife's a CPA, and the IRS does not do a good job of auditing required minimum distributions and really enforcing that 50% penalty. In fact, they do a terrible job, is what I'm trying to say. And a lot of people get out of paying that 50% penalty when they forget to take their required minimum distributions. In fact, I had a podcast listener that was like 76 and when I asked her about her required minimum distributions, she was like, "What are those?" And I was like, "Well, you know, you have these mandatory obligations that you need to be taking out of your IRA every year and paying the taxes. And my recommendation, my first recommendation, is to go and see a trusted tax advisor to take care of those. So as far as our planning is concerned, when we're doing a retirement plan for someone, we always want to account for those mandatory distributions from those IRAs and 401Ks. So this rule kind of changes things depending on your age slightly, right? Goes from 72 to 73. So it just gives you another year. But thinking for the younger folks out there, maybe their required minimum distribution age is going from essentially 72 to 75 with this new rule. That will definitely impact their game plan for a couple of years there. Maybe now you're able to do more Roth conversions, between now and your required minimum distribution age. Maybe it's just one year, but maybe your new required minimum distribution age is 75 instead of 72. So that means three more years, you could be doing Roth conversions. Another small but significant change, and I've been campaigning this, if you've been listening to the podcast, I've been campaigning this thing for years. This change should have happened years and years ago because it was so dumb. For Roth 401ks, starting in 2024, you will no longer be required to take these mandatory distributions once you turn 73. And I have said on the podcast so many times over the years, I don't know why someone over the age of 72 would leave money in a Roth 401k. It just makes no sense. Because if you roll the Roth 401k over to a Roth IRA, well, you don't have to take RMDs inside of a Roth IRA. But if you leave it in the Roth 401k, once you turn 72, they make you take withdrawals every single year. That's just terrible. Why would you do that? But with this new law, the Secure Act 2.0, they are saying, okay, starting in 2024, there's going to be no mandatory distributions from Roth 401ks, Roth 403bs, in anything Roth, which, I mean, it should be consistent across the board. The fact that there was that difference, and a lot of people didn't know about that difference. I mean, I ran into this all the time. And of course, those mandatory withdrawals out of a Roth are going to be tax-free, But if you didn't want to take them out of there to begin with and you wanted your money to be able to continue to grow and compound tax-free, well, of course, I'm going to roll my money to a Roth IRA where I'm not required to take distributions because that just makes sense. Now, with this new law starting in 2024, you can leave it inside of your Roth 401k and they will not force you to take withdrawals at any point in time. So that's a good change. I really like that change. So here's another change starting in 2025, the beginning of 2025, catch-up contributions to 401ks is is going to go up depending on your age. So currently for somebody over 50, the catch-up, which means the extra that you can put towards your 401k, right now it's $7,500 in 2023 for somebody over the age of 50, but with this new provision... And I don't know how the heck they came up with this. I mean, this is very, very dumb. But for individuals aged 60 to 63, they will be able to make catch-up contributions of $7,500 annually to their workplace plan. Workplace plan is a 401k, 403b, that kind of thing. But why are we saying... Age 60 to 63. Why don't they just say for people 50 and over to make it consistent? Don't just give them 60, 61, 62, 63. That's four years. And why stop at age 63? That's just very dumb to me. Oh, very, very dumb. Oh, oh, here we go. And they had to complicate this even further. For the people that are high income earners, let's just say 145,000 and above is what they're calling high income earners. For that catch-up, for the extra money, that $7,500 that you're putting in your 401k, what they're saying is that has to now go to the Roth 401k. Well, why is that? Well, because Congress, they know, hey, we're $33 trillion in debt. And if the catch-up is $7,500 a year for your 401k, if you're over 50, and they want the higher income people making 145000 and above, they're in the higher tax brackets. So meaning that extra $7,500, they're not going to give you a tax deduction on it. They're going to make you put it in the Roth and pay the taxes on that $7,500. So what they're doing here, I don't like this, by the way, as you can tell by the tone in my voice. This is just another way of punishing the people and people that are higher income earners, giving them less choices and increasing tax revenues. You can say what you want, but that's what it is. And the people that make less than 145000 well, they still have the choice with that catch-up to put it towards the pre-tax 401k or the Roth 401k. They give those people the choice. Here's some good news, though. Let's talk about some good news. So with IRAs, Roth IRAs, outside of your employer, Right now, if in 2023, if you're over age 50, you can contribute $7,500. If you're under age 50, you can contribute $6,500. It went up $500 bucks from 2022 to 2023. So starting in 2024, that catch-up number, which is $1,000, again, once you turn 50, they, they let you put in an, an extra $1,000 a year into your Roth IRA IRA or traditional IRA. So that's now going to be indexed to inflation. So meaning if inflation is steady every single year, that catch up, that thousand dollar catch up is going to go up and up and up. So you can, if there is inflation, you can keep putting in a little bit extra every single year. If you're over age 50, I like that. I really like that change. Here's actually another positive change that may apply to some of you So you know how the matching contributions from your employer in a 401k, let's say your employer matches 5%, 100% of the first 5%. So if you put in 5%, they match you dollar for dollar 5%. So with this new provision, it's going to allow that match to be either pre-tax, and up until this point, employer matches have always been pre-tax match. And most often there's a vesting schedule with that match. Well, this new provision allows your employer to have that match go to the Roth bucket side. How cool is that? Now, this will be starting in 2024, but I like that ability for your employer to say, hey, we'll match to the Roth side instead of the pre-tax side. So this was a big improvement, in my opinion, because it doesn't take anything away from you. It just gives you the option. It gives you, okay, we can do this as we did in the past. And we also have the ability to match to the Roth, which is a new option, right? So this is a nice change. Another provision that I really, really like, I've been campaigning this one for years because I have had so many people that have 401ks from previous employers And they're all scattered out there and they're unorganized and they forget about them. Well, what they're coming up with, what they're saying is they want to have a database of old 401ks and old retirement plans from previous employers that you can literally, and it's going to be based on your social security number, you can literally go and you can look to see if there's any outstanding balances of old 401ks or retirement plans. So you don't have anything that's, that's out there unaccounted for. I had one guy years and years ago. I remember this, like it was yesterday. He had worked for AT&T for a number of years. And he said, I think I have an old 401k or retirement accountant through AT&T. And I said, well, how many years did you work there? He said, I worked there 12 years. And he goes, well, but he goes, I don't know where to start. And I had another client that worked at AT&T and I knew their benefits department. So I said, well, let's just pick up the phone and make a conference call. And we'll just call that 800 number and see what we can find. He goes, oh, I don't want to waste the time. He goes, it's probably not that much. Let's, let's just move on. And I go, well, I got nothing but time. Let's, let's go ahead and do it. So we called the 800 number. They gave him his information. He had $85,000 in a retirement plan account through his old employer, AT&T. And that guy had no clue. He had no clue, 85 grand. So this database, this is gonna be awesome for people, for all those old 401ks that may be out there, outstanding. Maybe they don't get statements anymore. Maybe their email changed or their address changed and they have these outstanding accounts they don't even know about because they worked at the company 27 years ago. So this is a nice change that they're coming up with. A couple minor changes is is they want 401Ks and 403Bs when you start at an employer. They want to automatically enroll you in the 401K and the 403B with a 3% starting in 2025. They don't want to give you the upfront choice. They want to start you out at 3%, contributing to your retirement account, the 401k or 403b, and you can turn it off if you want to down the road, but they want saving and investing to become a habit for people. And I am all for this. I think this is a good change. I think people need to be saving for retirement. It needs to be a priority. And having it just kind of be the the automatic option, I like it. Obviously, we cannot force anybody but I like that they're automatically enrolling people in the 401k, but giving them the ability to opt out down the road. Here's another change, a provision for your Roth 401k. They want to have something that's called like an emergency fund within your Roth 401k. So if, if you had an emergency that popped up, right, you could withdraw $1,000 out of this emergency fund in your Roth 401k. And that would be limited to 2,500 bucks annually. Right. And the first four withdrawals in a year would be tax and penalty free because it's in a Roth. And your employer has the option whether they want to match this bucket, this Roth emergency fund bucket within your 401k. I'm going to be honest, I, I don't like this. I can tell you right now, most employers are, in my opinion, are probably not going to match an emergency fund. Right. And the matches in a Roth 401k or 401k, it's, the employer matching for retirement savings. To ask them to then match for your emergency fund, which should be held at a bank or a credit union anyway, I just think that's, that's getting away from the purpose of the match, which is an, an employee benefit, right? It's retirement savings account. So I'm not wild about this at all. I think it's a bad idea, and I would expect that most employers are not going to match funds into something like this. And quite frankly, I just don't think many employers in their 401ks are going to add this. I just don't think that's going to be very popular. Again, this is an optional feature that 401ks would have, and it only applies to the non-highly compensated employees starting in 2024. Here's another thing that they've been talking about for years and years and years for student loan debt. Obviously, in this country, we are in a student loan debt crisis, and we can have all these discussions about the student loan forgiveness and all this kind of stuff. But starting in 2024, employers will be able, not required, but able to match the employee's student loan payments with matching payments to a retirement account. So let's say one of your employees is paying $1,000 a year in student loan payments. Well, the employer would be able to match $1,000 into their 401k. This is better than nothing. Again, it gives the employers the ability to match employees 401ks when the employee is not even contributing to the 401k, but is rather making student loan payments. I think the better plan that they didn't pass is just to go to the employers and say, okay, forget about matching in the 401k or Roth 401k. The real problem here is the student loan payments. So why don't we talk about getting you tax incentives or credits to match whatever your employee is paying towards their student loans, dollar for dollar, and we'll help you out from a tax standpoint. And it's going to do one of two things. Yeah, it's it's not going to save money for the employee's retirement in a 401k but they don't want that anyway they want to get those student loans paid off as quick as possible so why don't we have the employer through credits and tax incentives give them the opportunity to help you get your student loan payments paid off and maybe have a matching in that, making payments towards the student loans to get those paid off and have some kind of matching program. Yeah, you would be taxed on that match, but who cares? Especially if the employers are helping with tuition assistance for their employees, well will have programs where they can help with the student loan payments, getting those paid off. I just don't think many employers are going to buy into this matching people's 401ks, not for the dollars they put into their 401k as a contribution, but what they put towards their student loans. And just imagine what an administrative nightmare that's going to be for the administrators that are keeping track of all the match dollars. How are the employees gonna? Let's say they write a check to their student loan company, and they say, "Okay, I paid a thousand dollars towards that, t- towards my student loan." Do they like show an invoice or pr- proof of payment to their employer and say, "Okay, now you got to match my 401k with a thousand dollars." This is going to be a nightmare from you know to track from an administrative point of view. There's just a couple more new provisions that I'm going to hit on before we go. But this one I hear all the time as far as 529 plans, and I'm happy to see this change. The Secure Act 1.0 was the best change, which actually allowed 529 plans to pay for trade schools. So if, if you had a son or a daughter or if you had a grandson or granddaughter that said, hey, I want to become a, a carpenter or an electrician or whatever it is and was going to a trade school, well, the 529 plans could, could help pay for that. And also, 529 plans, as a change of the Secure Act 1.0, they can actually help pay down student loan debt up to $10,000. So that was a big change. But why so many people don't want to open up these 529 plans is they say to themselves, well, what if it doesn't end up being used? And I got all this money that was intended for education, and what if my son or daughter got scholarships? What if they went into the military and they didn't need this money? What are the penalties to get money out of a 529 plan if it's not going to be used for education expenses or coding classes or certifications or trade schools? I don't want to have this money stuck in a 529 plan that my son or daughter or grandson or granddaughter can't use. I heard that over and over and over again. And so what this provision says is, After the money's been in the 529 plan for 15 years, which is a long darn time, it's allowing the money to be rolled over to a Roth IRA for that son or daughter, grandson or granddaughter, and you couldn't roll it over all at once. You would have to roll it over under the contribution limits. Right now, for somebody under 50, you would be able to roll over from the 529 to the Roth IRA, 6500 bucks a year. And they are putting a cap on it, a lifetime limit of $35,000. So this is actually a good change in my opinion. If there are leftover money or funds in a 529 plan that the beneficiary didn't use, well, it's going to continue to grow tax-free inside of the 529. And then after 15 years, you can begin rolling it over to a Roth IRA where it would continue to grow tax free. So I really like this provision. And there's one last provision that I wanted to mention. And again, this is not intended to be a complete summary because there's things that that I left out. For sure, for sure. I like this, I like the intent of this. So starting in 2024, for domestic abuse survivors, they will be ad- allowed to take a penalty free withdrawal of their retirement account of the lesser of of the account balance or $10,000. So if it's $100,000 they have in their 401k, they would be able to take out $10,000 and they would be able to repay that back within three years. And they would not have to pay the penalty for an early withdrawal And they would then be refunded the taxes they paid on that distribution. And I was listening to somebody interpreting this. You know, how do you, you know, this is kind of one of those things that's subjective. How does the IRS determine whether somebody is a domestic abuse survivor or not? And this person was concerned that people may say they're a domestic abuse survivor just to take advantage of this loophole and get money out without a penalty. And I don't really, you know, have an expert opinion on that. I don't know how that's going to work. That's kind of outside of my pay grade. That's for the IRS to determine how they're going to audit that kind of stuff to keep people from claiming they're a domestic abuse survivor when they may not be. This new law is intended to help those domestic abuse survivors get money to help them through a tough situation. There's always going to be people that are going to find loopholes and ways to take advantage of of something like this, but that's for Uncle Sam to worry about. I'm just kind of informing people of these new provisions in the Secure Act 2.0. So I hope this episode of the Retirement Made Easy podcast has been helpful. If you have questions, visit my website, retirementmadeeasypodcast.com. I'll see you next week. And remember, always dream big. are unmanaged and may not be invested into directly. The Smart Vester program is a directory of investment professionals. Neither Dave Ramsey nor Smart Vester are affiliates of St. Louis Retirement Advisors or LPL Financial. There is no guarantee that a diversified portfolio will enhance overall returns or outperform a non diversified portfolio. Diversification does not protect against market risk. All investing involves risk, including loss of principle. No strategy assures success or protects against loss. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, Memra Finra, SIPC. Thank you for listening to the show today. Check us out at our website, retirementmadeeasypodcast.com. And if you want some help from Greg, submit your questions at the bottom of the page or sign up for a 30-minute retirement coaching session with Greg. We'll see you next week.